All right, well, it is great to be with you this morning. Great to see everyone be in worship here together. We are going to be in Luke chapter 6 in just a moment. We'll get there together. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. Those of you that are joining us online this service, we are glad to have you here with us as well. I have a question for you as we start, and that is, what is your default answer? What is your default answer to the question, how are you? What is your default answer to the question, how are you? If I was to ask you that right now, what would you say? But Some of us would say fine. Some of us would say good. Uh, if you're like me, you like to be a little sarcastic, a little cynical, you'd be say something like unbelievable, or I'm doing fantastic, something along those lines. But I bet this, I bet this, I bet whatever your default answer is to that question, because we all have it. You know you're going to walk into work and people are going to say, how are you doing? Or you're going to walk into church and the pastor is going to say, how are you? I bet that your default answer to that question is positive. I bet, I bet your default answer to that question is positive because there's something inside of me and there's something inside of you that wants to not just portray that everything is going fine, not just to portray that everything is good. There's something inside of me, and I bet there's something inside of you that really longs for it to be that way. We don't just want to portray that, it, that it's that way. We want it to be that way. There's something inside of us that wants life to be good. In fact, there's a, a hashtag that's out there that people use when they post pictures online when, to represent those moments when life is exactly the way it should be. People will post a picture on Facebook or Instagram or wherever they post it, and then underneath they'll tag it and they'll say, hashtag blessed. And it's this idea that you want to put out there those moments in life when everything is the way that it's supposed to be. That when someone says to you, how are you? You can say, I am blessed. That's what we want. And when we have those moments, you know those moments, the moments where the kids are all clean and dressed perfectly and standing nice for a picture or everything's great in the relationship and you're smiling at each other or you're sitting on the beach and your toes are in the sand and the book is open, you take a picture of that moment and you say to, to yourself and to the world, this is what the blessed life looks like. This is what it looks like to be Blessed, And I wondered to myself, how pervasive is this actually? And so I searched very quickly the hashtag on Instagram, hashtag blessed. And I found that I did just did this yesterday. I found that there's over 135 million posts just on Instagram with this hashtag. All of us wanting this feeling, us trying to capture those moments in life when everything's just the way it should be. That's what we want. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? If those blessed moments always existed, if that's how life really was all the time, the problem with those blessed moments and the problem with that feeling of life being exactly the way that it should be is that the second the circumstances change, that emotion changes with it. As long as everything's perfect, as long as everything's in place and the kids look right and the relationship's right and the money is right and everything, everything is the way that it's supposed to be, the weather is perfect, as long as everything is in place, all those circumstances exist the way they're supposed to be, we feel blessed. The problem is when those things begin to shift and those things begin to change, that emotion that we long for and desire begins to change with it. I know I experience this every time I go golfing. Every time I get out on the golf course, I am, I am in an unbelievable mood. 
I can't wait for that day. The sun is shining. I'm with good friends. You're in the golf cart. You're ready for a few hours of, of having a good time and, and being out in, in God's creation and enjoying the day. And when I'm driving up to that first tee, I feel blessed. The problem is when I have to stand up on that first tee and actually hit the golf ball. Because the second I try to hit the golf ball, my mood changes instantly from feeling blessed and feeling like this is going to be a great day to feeling cursed and feeling like this is going to be a very long day. And that's how it happens in our life, doesn't it? Right? Relationship is good. You feel blessed. And then you have the argument over the thing that doesn't matter, and you feel the opposite. There's money in the bank account. You feel blessed. The unexpected bill comes in. The money's gone. You feel the opposite. The problem that we have with this desire for living a blessed life and feeling blessed is that it's, we live as if it's an emotion based on circumstance. And the second these circumstances change, the emotion goes with it. So the question before us this morning is, is it possible, and wouldn't it be great if it was, is it possible to live a life that is blessed consistently, that doesn't come and go as circumstances change, but consistently blessed. That's what we long for. And we started last week this new sermon series. We're in Luke chapter 6. And in this sermon series, we're, we're talking about building the unshakable life. But all of these sermons are going to come out of a sermon that Jesus preached, which we know as the Sermon on the Plain. You may be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew's Gospel. This is, as Luke describes, the Sermon on the Plain. And there's a whole long discussion as to whether or not they're the exact same sermon or two different sermons. And I'll let you go online and read all those arguments. I don't know, to be honest with you. There's a lot of content that's similar between the two. But Luke talks about a sermon that takes place on the plain. In fact, in the Greek, it's very specifically the sermon that takes place on a level place. And I say that because if you're like me, when you hear the word plain, immediately you jump to Jesus standing at the front of the fuselage uh, teaching people how to put on their seatbelts. But I want you to think plain, plain as in a flat area where all these people are gathered. In fact, the text tells us that when Jesus gets up to preach this sermon, there's multiple groups in front of him. And the groups are, exist of a large crowd that has come from all over the place to hear Jesus teaching. This is early on in his ministry, and yet a large crowd has gathered. And then within that crowd, there are the disciples. There are people who have, have decided that they are going to follow Jesus in his ministry, and those are referred to in the text as the disciples. And then within that smaller group of disciples, there are the twelve maybe the ones you're most familiar with, the 12 apostles. And you know what I didn't realize, quite honestly, before jumping into this sermon series and studying the Gospel of Luke over the last few months? Is that it's only right before Jesus gives this sermon that he identifies who the 12 will be. See, I thought maybe if you've been around church for a while, I thought the second he called Peter and said, follow me, and Peter dropped his fishing fishing nets and left, that he was immediately one of the 12. I thought just when he called Matthew out of the tax collector booth, and if you've, been, if you've been with us over the last few months, you've heard us talk about these passages. When he called Matthew out of the tax collector booth, immediately he was part of the 12. 
But they were all being drawn into this group of disciples. And it's only right before this sermon, if you flipped back a couple of verses, it's only right before this sermon that Jesus gives that he looks at the larger group of disciples and calls out the 12 who we know as the 12 disciples. And so these three groups, as he gives this sermon on a level place, the sermon on the plain, these three groups are in front of him. The 12, the disciples, and if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your group. And then there's the crowd, the people that are just gathering to see what's happening. And we looked last week at the very end of this sermon, where Jesus summarizes all of the content of the sermon. And he does that through the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And he talks about two people that build houses. And those houses look almost identical from the ground up. In fact, in that text that we looked at last week, we saw that Jesus is talking about two people who call themselves followers of him. I grew up in church. I heard this story ever since I was a little kid. I sang the song, the rain came down and the floods went up, that song that we sang in Sunday school. I've heard this story for a long time. It was only a couple of weeks ago that I began to realize that both the wise and the foolish builder are followers of Jesus Christ. Their houses look similar. The difference is when the storm comes. When the storms of life come, one falls and one stands. And when Jesus gives this summary at the end of this sermon, he says, I'll tell you who, what it looks like to have an unshakable life. He does it in Luke chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. I'll tell you what it looks like to have an unshakable life. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like, Jesus says. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And Jesus says, and we heard last week, if you want an unshakable life, and who among us after the last year and a half doesn't realize that we need a life that is unshakable, because in this world, there will be many things that try to shake us. If you want the unshakable life, Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need to not just build above the soil. You need to dig down deep. And what does it look like to do that? He says it right there in verse 47. The people who dig down deep, the people who put the foundation into the rock, they are the ones who come to me, hear my words, and do what I say. So over the next few weeks, we're going to go back into the rest of this sermon, and we're going to come to Jesus, and we're going to listen to his words, and then by his grace, we'll go and do what he says. This morning, we look at how Jesus starts this sermon in verse 20. Last week, we looked at how he ends it. Now we're going to back up and see where he starts it. And Jesus starts this sermon right in the area that we were talking about a few minutes ago, and what it looks like to be blessed. And this is what it says. It says, He lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God, excuse me. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, 
And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus begins this sermon and speaks right into what it looks like to live a blessed life. And anyone among us, all of us, I think, who desire to live a life that feels blessed. And when we say blessed, that Greek word for blessed, makarios, that word, it speaks of a, a deep-seated, long-term joy. What we might call for the purposes of this sermon and in the context of this passage, unshakable joy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Who among us doesn't want joy that, that is unshakable, that lasts? That no matter what's happening in life, we have a deep-seated feeling of fortune and blessing and joy. And Jesus says in this text that it's possible, that it exists. But he also says something that we have to pay attention to. He says in these verses something like this. He says, everyone in our world wants unshakable joy. But most people, in fact, almost all people, look for it in very shakable things. Everybody wants unshakable joy, but most of us look for it in very shakable things. And I think inside the church, outside the church, Christian, non-Christian, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, whatever you might call yourself, I think this is true for all of us, that all of us want unshakable joy. We want that long-term feeling of being blessed and having life go the way that it should. But most of us are searching for it in things that are very temporary and very shakable. There are things that I see as obstacles to my long-term joy, and there's things that you see as obstacles to your long-term joy, and there's things that I see as pathways to long-term joy, and things that you see as pathways to long-term joy. And what Jesus does in this passage between the blessings and the woes is he takes everything that I normally see as a pathway to long-term joy, and he makes it an obstacle. And he takes everything that I normally see as an obstacle to long-term joy, and he makes it a pathway. He takes the whole thing and flips it on its head. I see poverty and hunger and weeping and being rejected and excluded as obstacles to joy. But Jesus makes them pathways. In fact, he says, blessed are you when you're poor. Blessed are you when you're hungry. Blessed are you when you're weeping. Blessed are you when people hate you. Spur your name is evil and reject you on account of me. I'm tempted to see money and comfort, entertainment, being accepted as pathways to joy. 
Jesus makes them obstacles. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who spend your life laughing in entertainment. Woe to you who are well spoken of. And the question is why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he take these things and, and change them up like that? And I think what Jesus is revealing to the people who are right in front of him and what he's revealing to us is that long-term joy and satisfaction and good fortune are absolutely available, but you and I and others look for it in the wrong place. That we want unshakable joy, but we look for it in very shakable things. And that we don't really understand what it is we're actually seeking. Because if we understood what it was that we were actually looking for it, for we'd look for it in the correct place. When I first moved to the Boston area, almost about 20 years ago now, uh, I moved here and I moved here prior to having GPS in my car, which it's hard enough to move to the Boston area and learn how to drive in this area, but, but I don't even know, some of you didn't live in a time when there was no GPS, but it used to be there, you didn't just follow your phone to get places, you actually had to use your brain, and, and I moved here when we, were, when we were in that place, and I'm so thankful for GPS today, don't, don't think that I'm against it, I love it, but I remember having to get down into the city for something. And I was also a real late adopter on the cell phone. So I had no cell phone, and I had no GPS. And I had to get down into the city of Boston, and I lived up on the North Shore going to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And so I didn't spend much time in the city. I don't remember where I was going, but I remember I asked my then-girlfriend and now wife, I remember I asked her family, her very Boston family, if uh, they could tell me where I, I needed to go. And I remember my father-in-law saying to me, you need to go 93 South, and then you need to get on Starro Drive. And I said, okay. I go 93 South, and then I get on Starro Drive. No problem. I wrote that down. You know, some of you remember the days when you'd write down your directions, and then you'd, you'd very unsafely have them, like, have plastered over the horn as you were driving, and you're trying to look down and look up. So I'm driving on 93 South, and I'm coming into the city, and he said, before you hit the city, before you get there, you'll see Starro Drive. Great. Sounds good. So I go, and I come over that hill, and you can start to see the skyline of Boston. The Prudential Center's off to the right, and I'm coming into the city. I say, okay, I'm going to start looking for Starro Drive. And in my head, I'm saying, okay, Starro Drive, S-T-A-R-O-H, Starro Drive. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm coming into the city, and I see this sign that says, huh, Starro Drive. Well, Starro Drive's not Starro Drive. And I started this debate in my head as I had two miles left and one mile left and a half mile left. Is Starro Drive the same thing as Starro Drive? And I thought to myself, it can't be. He said Starro Drive, S-T-A-R-O-H, something along those lines. And I drove right past it. And then the days before GPS or cell phones, when you missed an exit in the city of Boston, that was the rest of your afternoon to try to figure out how to get out of there. I didn't really understand what I was looking for. And I ended up looking for it in the wrong place. You and I hear Jesus say, blessed. And we immediately in our minds start forming this picture of what that looks like. And because we're so conditioned by the world around us, but so, because we're so conditioned by our own hearts, 
we immediately, if we're not careful, jump to, yes, blessed is what happens when everything's correct around me. Blessed is what happens when I get my relationships right and when my, my, my kids are correct and when the money is there. That's when I'm blessed. And we ought to pay attention to the fact that Jesus, because if we don't listen to the whole thing, we're going to keep looking for it in the wrong place. Jesus says something very different to us. He says that's not where you'll find blessing at all. In fact, he says those are obstacles to blessing because blessed is not an emotion that Jesus is talking about. Blessed is a state of being. It is a reality that isn't dependent on circumstance, but is. So the question is, how do you get that? How do you get that thing that just is? regardless of circumstance, that isn't dependent on money or no money, that isn't dependent on hungry or full, that isn't dependent on laughing or weeping, that isn't dependent on, uh, on acceptance or rejection. How do you find that thing? And Jesus says to his disciples, if you want unshakable joy, live for an unshakable reward. If you want unshakable joy, live your life for an unshakable reward. I love, in verse 20, this moment. And I think it's so important we recognize this. I love this moment in verse 20, where Jesus is in front of the three groups of people we talked about earlier, the 12 apostles, the larger group of disciples, and then the crowd. Almost everyone would, would get up to preach and they'd play to the crowd. They'd want the masses that have come to hear what they're saying. Jesus is not concerned with the crowd in this sermon. In fact, he stands up and there's the 12 disciples here that he's just called a few verses earlier, just literally right before he preaches this sermon. And then there's the larger group of disciples and he turns and he sees the masses out there and they're fine to listen in, but he narrows right in on the disciples. And the question is why? If you were there, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you would be in this group, and Jesus would turn from all the crowds that had gathered, and he would look right at you, and he would say, this is the first sermon he's preaching to his disciples. And these are the first words out of his mouth. And so there's something big here that Jesus wants his disciples to understand, and there's something big here that he wants you and me to understand. I think Jesus knows for this group of disciples, they don't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into, but Jesus knows what they're getting themselves into. They're going to follow Jesus in hopes their life gets easier. They're going to follow Jesus because he's a healer. They're going to follow Jesus because he's an amazing teacher. And they're coming and, and hoping that as they follow Jesus, that life will get easier, that the road will become smoother, that they might get some life hacks that they can put into practice. They're hopeful that things will get easier and easier, but Jesus knows. When they come and follow, there's a Roman government that's going to try to snuff this whole thing out. 
that's going to persecute. He knows that there are religious people in power that are going to ultimately put him on the cross and are going to persecute and mistreat the people that follow him. And these disciples are coming wide-eyed for a better life, and Jesus is looking back at them and saying, this is going to get hard. This is not always going to be easy. And there's something in here that we have to listen to because I think as followers of Jesus Christ, many of us accept the gospel and many of us come into this place and, or many of us come into relationship with Jesus Christ because we're hoping life gets better. And it gets pitched to us this way. Is your life terrible? Are you having a bad time? Then you should know Jesus and you should, be a, you should follow him because your life will get better. That's how the gospel is pitched to us. But that's not the gospel. And Jesus knows as he's looking at these disciples, this is going to cost them something. This is going to be hard. It's going to result in them maybe having to give up money, not earn extra money. And it's going to have to cost them maybe the comforts of life that they're used to. And it's going to cost them some of their short-term happiness. And it might cost them the acceptance with their family and their friends and their coworkers in order to follow. And so he says to them, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you as evil on account of me. And I think there's something that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to pay attention to. I don't think I need to spend too much time uh, explaining to you the realities of the world around us and the reality that it's getting harder and harder to publicly be a follower of Jesus Christ. That when we say what we believe, when you tell people how you spent Sunday morning, there is the chance that they will reject you and not accept you. And there's something here we ought to pay attention to and listen to from Jesus Christ as he says it to the early disciples and he says it to you. That that could be a reason why you avoid following Jesus. That could be a reason why you avoid doing the things that God is calling you to do because we have so tied our long-term happiness and our long-term joy to acceptance and life going well. But Jesus is saying, don't you dare tie it to that because the moment life gets hard as you follow me, you're going to be out the door. And who among us doesn't know someone, or, or maybe it's you, maybe you're close to doing this, that life has gotten hard, and because you're following Jesus, life is getting harder, and so you are tempted to throw away the whole thing so that you can get more enjoyment out of life. And Jesus is saying, be careful, don't tie those things so closely together. Don't allow your long-term happiness and joy to come from things that are shakable. Things that shift and change. In fact, he says, when this happens, when you stand up for me and who you are as a follower of me, rejoice. 
And don't just rejoice in that day, he says. Look what he says in the text in verse 23. Rejoice in that day. And not just rejoice. Leap for joy. Why? Because behold, your reward is great in heaven. If you want unshakable joy, you have to live for an unshakable reward so that your deep-seated joy, your deep-seated fortune, your deep-seated happiness comes not from the things of this world that shift and change. It comes not from whether or not people like you and not from whether or not you are accepted by others, but it comes from the reality of who Christ is, that he is the one who came, who died, who rose again, and now sits enthroned in heaven, that one day he'll come again and that we will be with him for all eternity, that because of that reality, which does not change no matter what happens on this earth. I have a sense of blessing and joy and happiness that never leaves because it's rooted and the foundation is built on things that never change. And how easy it is, isn't it? To build not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and the foundation that never changes, the reality of who he is and who I am in him. How easy it is to build on the soft clay of the things of this world. A couple of years ago, my wife, Lori, and I, we took our kids to a place called Great Wolf Lodge. There's one out in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, and Great Wolf Lodge is, is a, a hotel. And when I was a kid, just going to a hotel was, was super exciting. But for kids these days, that's not exciting enough. So Great Wolf Lodge is not just a hotel. It is also a full-on amusement park. It has two indoor water parks with wave pools and water slides. It has a miniature golf. It has a high ropes course. It has an unbelievable amount of things to do, and it's certainly a lot of fun. So we took our kids there a couple of years ago. And one day, one afternoon, we went into the arcade. And you've done this before. You, you go to the arcade, and you play the games, and you collect the tickets, and then you get to go to the counter, and you get to turn in your tickets and get your prizes, your rewards before you go. And I know you may be feeling like this is for just for little kids, but the truth is some of you have been at Dave & Buster's just recently just doing this, and you love it too. You go, and you play the games, and you get your tickets, and then you go, and you get your rewards. And my daughter was, was playing the games, Caitlin. She was probably about five years old at the time. And she walked up and there was this big wheel. You know what it looks like. It was like as if they'd taken the wheel of fortune wheel and turned it up, up against the wall. And it spun like this. And there was a little arrow that clicked around the metal pegs that were in the wheel. And she walked up to that wheel and all on the wheel were these different point values for tickets. And most of them said two, and some of them said four, and then there was, you know, a couple little notches that said 10, and then it got smaller where it said 20, and then there was this one notch between two little metal pegs, and in that little sliver of the wheel, it said jackpot, and up on top of the wheel, there it said, the jackpot is a 1,000 tickets. 
So Caitlin swiped her card and she reached up and she spun the wheel and the thing started spinning around and around and you could hear the clicking and she was watching it and it kept going around and around. And we played this game before and almost always you get two tickets or four tickets and went around and around and it started to slow down and you could see that jackpot coming around the bottom of the wheel and now coming up the backside. And as we were watching, it was slowing and slowing and slowing. And you start to think, like, we, have a, we have a real shot here. And it slowed down. And then it got to that point where the arrow was right in between the two pegs that said jackpot. And it went this way. And the arrow got closer and closer to that edge. And then it popped back and stayed. You would have thought, based on my daughter's reaction, that we had just won a billion dollars. There was screaming. There was jumping up and down. We had hit the jackpot. This was the greatest moment of her young life. And I was excited too. This was great. We won a thousand tickets. And as the machine was spitting all the tickets out onto the floor and I was trying to wind them all up, I was thinking to myself, you know, normally when we go to the reward counter, we don't get anything that great. But I started to look and they have like video game systems and they have all sorts of stuff up there that looks pretty unbelievable. And so I'm collecting the tickets and I'm thinking to myself, what are we going to get? And we got our, our 1,053 tickets or whatever we had after spending, you know, 90-some dollars there. And we got all our tickets, and we brought them up to the counter, and we dumped them across the counter. And there were all our tickets across the counter. And we looked at all the rewards we could get, and I think we walked away with something like three erasers and two Tootsie Rolls <laughs> and maybe a bracelet if we were lucky. So many of us are living our lives this way. There's these big highs as we figure out ways to make more money or figure out ways to be accepted more by the people around us. And we're gathering the tickets, figuring out how to succeed and how to, how to have enjoyment out of life and pull all the entertainment out of this world that we can. And we're, we're gathering up our tickets. And the sad reality is so many of us are going to go at the end of this world, at the end of this life, and cash those things in and realize that, that we spent our entire life trying to gain rewards that don't matter. When Steve Jobs met his creator... Didn't matter how much money. Didn't matter the stock price. Didn't matter the number of units sold. All that mattered was a life lived for a greater reward. And for you, for me, all that matters is whether or not we're living our life for the reward that is unshakable. For the reality of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And then when the things happen in this world, and we don't have the money that we wanted, we don't have the resources and the comforts that we think we desire or we think we deserve. Life isn't always full of laughter. And the people around us reject us because of who Jesus Christ is. The blessing doesn't change. The deep-seated fortune, the deep-seated 
joy, it is there, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back as we close this morning. And if you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes and think about this with me for just a moment? You know, I understand this is so hard to keep in the right perspective day to day in this world. There's so much around us that would say to us, you'll never be happy until you get this in line and until you have this thing and until you are seen this way by everyone around you. There's so much in our world that would fight with our minds to make us think that in order to feel blessed, in order to have joy, things have to look a certain way. So my question for you this morning is where are you trying to find unshakable joy in shakable things? My prayer is that you would be encouraged this morning as to who you are in Jesus Christ, which is not dependent on anything in this world. Your life is blessed because God made you and created you and called you. And the other question I'd ask you to consider this morning is, are there areas in your life that you are not doing what God has called you to do because you have so tied long-term joy to the things of this world that God's asked you to make a decision that would cost you resources? He's asked you to make a decision that would cost you comfort. He's asked you to make a decision that would cost you your reputation with people around you. And you're not doing it because you so tied joy to the things of this world. Would you be reminded today that you can go and do what God calls you to do? Because the secret to being content is not having everything in order in your life. The secret to contentment is finding strength through Jesus Christ, your Lord. And so, God, we come before you today and thank you for who you are. And thank you for the blessing of knowing you. Knowing you, And thank you that the reality is that no matter what the bank account looks like, no matter what the follower number looks like, no matter what though all those things look like in our lives, we are blessed because of who you are. We are blessed because we are called your children. We are blessed because we are forgiven and restored and redeemed through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, I pray that each and every moment you would help us to live, not for the rewards of this world, which matter so little, but for the eternal rewards you call us to. And I pray it in Jesus' name.